Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy and his little dog scratching at the door. Is that what that is? She's clicking around on the floor. Oh, okay. She's looking for food. Today, Bruce, we are here to talk about the possibility of Anton Slepeshev re-signing with the Edmonton Oilers. Now, this has been um, much discussed on Oilers now. It's been raised a few times as a real possibility. I think we know that Ken Holland has had talks with uh, Slepeshev's agent. I think we've heard that. And we're hearing some rumblings ourselves um, from our own little, uh, we don't have tons of sources, but, you know, we're hearing some rumblings that this is a distinct possibility. Um, so Anton Slepeshev, we we know him well, Bruce, yeah. but maybe not well. that well because he's he's um, his game's really taken off in the second half of this season in the KHL. So today we'll talk about um, how he's done, how he's done, uh, when we last saw him, let's just we'll, we'll, we'll refresh everyone's memory on the Slepeshev that we all saw and and uh, knew quite well. There was a bit of a, a debate about him, but there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of angst when he left town. There was uh, maybe a few people who thought the orders were losing something, but I, I think the general consensus was, well, good luck, Anton. We you showed a flash here and there. But it's probably time for you to move on from Edmonton. This this uh, this hasn't worked out. And then uh, we'll talk about his season this year. So, <clears throat> Bruce, what was your assessment of him in his last season here, 2017-18? Well, I mean, it, he was an easy guy to to like, you know, superficially. Like he's a he's a big rangy kind of guy. Uh, uh, he's got lots of uh, tools. Good skater. Good hard shot. You know, flashy kind of guy can be, uh, but it always seemed like the uh, uh, the output was less than the sum of the parts. To mangle a metaphor, and it was um, uh, you know you look, watch the guy, and then you, you later you say, well, geez, he only got twelve points after all that, and you know he just he he, he was. Um, it was kind of a catch-22. He couldn't work his way really into the top six. He couldn't work his way onto the power play. And because he spent more time playing with uh, with guys like Mark Letestu than Connor McDavid, uh, he only scored at sort of a very, uh, you know, m- marginal rate, 1.3 points per 60 kind of even uh. strength score and nothing on the power play. So, so uh, who are his most common line mates, Bruce? They like were. last year. Yeah, uh, Lucic, Latestu, and Lucic, and who's the third guy? Like he was uh, Drake Kajula. Oh, you know. geez. that's not exactly oh. a recipe for success, was it? Well, no. I mean, those guys can all score like a little bit, but none of them is a you know a real like. There's no there's no Colin Fraser in there, you know, or or Eric Blanche. <laughs> there, there's no uh, you know, but they. They were bottom sixers for a reason, and I guess you could say Slepeshev was too, and, and uh, they could not. Uh... Well, that year, that, that 2017-18 season, Latestu was mm-hmm. really, really weak. I mean, he, he, was... he was not an NHL hockey player at that point. And uh, Lucic arguably wasn't either. I mean, there might be some disagreement in Calgary about Lucic, but 
man, he was just really mediocre that year. And and Kajula was struck. He was he, he had a bit on the attack going on, but Drake Kajula the entire time he was in Edmonton just leaked scoring chances left, right, and center because uh, that's where that, that those were that's where he wandered all over the ice in the defensive zone and was a terrible defensive winger. So with those um, as your most common line mates, that's a recipe for failure for any young player. I'm going to suggest. And Slepichev maybe didn't help himself. He got he, you were saying he hurt his ankle, but Bruce, no. coach also didn't help him. Todd McClellan, no, he Slepichev had played his best hockey in the 2017 playoffs in a line with Lucic and Drysital, and there had been um, quite a bit of optimism about him as a player heading into the year, and thinking, well, maybe that line can do something. You know, maybe those three guys could get together, and we never. I mean, I think it was like 40 games into the year before we even saw that line tried once by McClellan. And then it was like for one game. He played, so, they Mc- played 19 seconds together. I, me- I wrote about it at the end of that year. I looked at some of these old posts in researching today's mm-hmm, posts. Mm-hmm. And they, they played 19 seconds together in, uh, in the following year after playing in the playoffs. And, you know, in the playoffs they had, they had some nice results. Like they didn't dominate possession or anything, but uh, uh, they had... Uh, you know, they scored some goals. And uh, they had, a, you know, a real big game six against uh, Anaheim that, um, you know, pushed the series to the limit. Anyway, if, he just never went back to it. And for whatever yeah. reason, he, there was there was some aspect that, that he didn't like. And, of course, Slepshev wound up playing more with Lucic than he did with Drysaddle, so that didn't help him a whole lot. Oh, just like Pugliarvi, that was a death knell for Pugliarvi's career in Edmonton was playing so much with Lucic um, last year. I mean, that was just, man, a lot of careers uh, crashed on the rocks of Lucic Bay in, in Edmonton. <laughs> Bruce, um, so, you know, I just think, so when we look at McClellan's time as, in, as the coach in Edmonton, and I know he had his boosters and he had the one really good year. Um, there's only, when I was looking at the players who, who, I, I thought Slepyshev, and I did power. I look back at the power rankings for that year, 27 mm-hmm. 18, and Slepyshev was consistently probably the worst or second worst forward in, in terms of my own right. um, assessment of performance on the team. So the, there was only one other forward who did really poorly that year, who's who stepped up after McClellan left, of the guys who are still remaining in Edmonton at least, and that it's going to go deal with the dog here. That is. Um, that's Zach Cassian. So Zach Cassian um, was really weak under McClellan. He was in Todd McClellan's doghouse. But Mc, Mc, Zach Cassian, just talking about Zach Cassian here, Bruce. Zach mm-hmm. Cassian is the one player who stayed in Edmonton after McClellan left and who really started to excel in Edmonton after McClellan left. Now, is it possible that with a different coach and a different opportunity that Slepyshev could have turned it around in Edmonton as well? We don't. We don't have the answer to that, although Hitchcock did take over that year, correct? Yeah. Or, or, no, was it? Yeah. Oh, uh, wait a minute. No, that uh, was 17, 18. No, yeah, that, was was, full, that was full McClellan. It was still McClellan. All of yeah. Subshev's career mm-hmm. here was McClellan. And so maybe there wasn't a mix there, but I, I do think it was probably more of a... Uh, his first year in Russia wasn't that good, was it, Bruce? He didn't exactly rip up when, the KHL. When he went back to Russia, yeah. he scored 15 goals and 10 assists, which was the exact same he scored as a 20-year-old before he came over. Like, he matched his boxcars at 24 that he'd done at 20, and it looked like maybe he was a spent force. 
Yeah. But uh, in in between times, you know, the time he was here, uh, you know, he never did get the chance that Cassian eventually got playing in the top six, right? Slepeshev, like, I don't think you can point to any one time and say that he ever got more than a couple of games here and there where he uh, lined up uh, uh, and was given a real serious chance to prove that he was a top six uh, uh, NHL winger. And he probably wasn't one yet. I mean, he was probably... Uh, not necessarily in the wrong slot, but uh, he's a, evidence would suggest that at 25 he's a, he's uh, a different player than he was at 21 and 22 and uh, and uh, uh, 23 as he was when he left Edmonton. So what are we seeing this year from uh, Anton Slepeshev that makes us think, hey, maybe there's a chance? I mean, other than the fact that the Oilers qualified, so the Oilers qualified him when he left. Yes. They offered him a contract. He didn't sign it, but because yes. they did that, they have his rights till he's 27. Yeah. So this is this this summer is Edmonton's last exclusive negotiating right. period with Slepeshev. They can sign him. They could trade his rights for a draft pick, but they have him till he's 27. This is the summer they they can make something out of this. So what what makes uh, anyone think that he could come back here and succeed? What's what's happened with him this past year? Well, what happened is he just exploded in the second half of the season. Uh, playing with CSKA Moscow, which is uh, formerly uh, uh, Central Red Army, uh, uh, famous franchise in, uh, in uh, uh, Russian hockey history. And he had, at the halfway point, he was scoring around the same rate that he did last year, 15 points in 34 games. And, you know, last year he had 25 and 56, I think it was, so basically the same rate. And then all of a sudden the calendar turned to 2020 and he turned into a scoring monster. And he's played um, since um, in 2020. Uh, he, he went on immediately a 14-game point scoring streak, which tied the, uh, the uh, CSKA franchise record held by Alex Radulov, who's a well-known big scorer. Uh, he missed, he got a zero in one game. And then he closed out the season by scoring in the last five games right after that. And then in the playoffs, he scored in every playoff game so far as uh, Red Army swept through their first round series. And he, you know, in the playoffs, at least, he led the team in scoring. In the regular season, he was third on the team in scoring. And But in the second half of the season, he scored as well as anybody in the whole league, I think, at the rate he was going. I mean, he was almost a point and a half per game in uh uh, in 2020, so he's been he's been ripping up. Now that said, I, I I'll plead ignorance in that. I never saw him play any games, and I don't know you know what what happened with his line mates and that. All I know is his ice time didn't change a whole lot. He was playing 16 minutes a game. It's not like he suddenly went up to 23 or something. And they finally decided uh, to do you know to to use him differently. Uh, he. Uh, but he just started to score and score and score and score. I mean, uh, he's played uh, 24 games. This uh, uh, calendar 2020, he's got 35 points, plus 23. Like, they're outscoring. And so, though, I mean, the numbers are great, mm-hmm. and they suggest that maybe he's turned a corner. Either that, that or he's just gone on a ridiculous hot roll, and he's kept it going for over two months. So the only thing that gives me pause in terms of his numbers are is the fact that he is on a powerhouse team. Yep. Um, he's playing on the same team as 22-year-old Kirill Kaprizov, who's probably, um, I think, most certainly the best prospect in the KHL, best NHL prospect. I think mm-hmm. Minnesota, let me just have a look here, he holds his rights. 
He's got uh, 62 points in 57 games this year. And there's other really there's other players who um, uh, score a lot on that same team. There's um, Lyndon Bay, the Canadian, and Mikhail Grigorenko, who was a top pick in the NHL, never right. panned out here. And another, uh, the second, there's a whole group of other players that are just behind that group. So this is a quite an offensive powerhouse. Yes, they're the defending um, champions. Uh, but when they became champions, Slepeshev was like 10th highest scorer on the team, and he wasn't like yeah. a big big part of it. Now it's obvious that he is a big part of it, especially in this last part. Let's just look. So the owners on the right side, Slepeshev was a right winger here, was he not, when he was here? He's a right shot. He actually didn't mind playing left wing, but yeah. he, he, was, uh, he is a right shot, so he's more a natural fit in the right side. I think maybe in Russia, maybe they have him on the other side. I don't know. Anyway, they have um, we have Yamamoto now. Cassian, Patrick Russell, Chase on plays the right side, and James Neal now plays the right side. And um, what's a Thanasio? Uh, both. See, both? Okay. I've and seen, Benson. I've seen him use them at both. I, I think primarily left. left. Benson's yeah. a left. Okay. <clears throat> so it's not an, it's not. You can see a kind of a, a possibility of a third line job there, not on the checking line. Like if they had a third, let's. So he's not grind line material. Like I don't see him playing with Shea and Archibald um, on a on a on the kind of checking line that I think Tippett's going to have on this team. But there is that kind of you know third fourth line, which is a, another attacking line, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a possibility he could beat out Yamamoto or Cassian and um, for the right wing spot on one of the top lines or fit into the left wing? I mean, I think that's unlikely, but it's a, it's you never know. Cassian could be the the third line winger with Shane and Archibald, and Slepeshev could s- slot up. You know, he could I could see Slepeshev in the prime of his scoring career. He's at he's right at that age, twenty six next year. He's right at that age where that's your prime scoring years and prime years is a two way winger. I could see him beating out Chase on and being a better player than Chase on or Neil. I don't know if the one thing about Slepeshev, he was never used. And uh, so we don't know Chase on and Neil are both really good net front guys on the power play. If he was Mm -hmm. to beat out one of those guys somehow, I don't know what they do with them. They're both on guaranteed contracts next year, but um, you know, could he fill that role? in front of the net on the power play. I, I, I'm betting you could if he set his mind to it. And, he, you know, he's a big guy. I don't know if he's got the um, the tipping, you know, shot deflection skills, but I, that that might be a possibility for him. But those, was, those go ahead. He was with, uh, with Russia, uh, and I'm going back to World Juniors, but he was a um, uh, left circle, uh, half wall, kind of yeah. one-time shooter, for uh, for Russia in the uh, uh, remember the uh, during the lockout year they had the World Juniors over there in uh, um, uh, Yakupov's part of the world and uh, um, tell you bit no no one valley over from there <laughs> anyway uh, I'll get it in a second but uh, he was the Russian cap- Saskatchewan not the Russian Alberta he was the captain of the Russian team and the uh-huh. Nuge was the captain of the uh, Canadian team and the Nuge had been the first overall draft pick in the NHL and Slepshev had been the first overall draft pick in the KHL at one time so he was a, 
Uh, he was a, uh, um, uh, you know, considered to be a pretty pretty high-end talent of a player. And now, mind you, the KHL draft, when you look at the list of the KHL draft, it reminds me of more of the CFL draft than anything else, where they're drafting a guy in part because how good he is and in part whether they think they can actually sign the guy or not. Like, there's no point in drafting the top Canadian player because he's never going to go and play in the KHL. So they're, they're, so there's kind of mixed motives of how they how they rank, what, near as I can tell. But that said, to get to number one on the list, you got to be able to play. And so he, his uh, lack of talent is not his issue. Uh, take yeah. Well, I can see I could see the Oilers like why not if he you know your your estimate for what it might cost is like about a million five to two million a year. Yeah, somewhere in there. I just sort of ballparked it. I mean, I'm not great at, at estimating money. I mean, this is an outside player coming in. So, uh, and I compared him to uh, to Gusev, uh, Nikita Gusev, the slightly older defending KHL scoring champion that came into the league last summer and. And uh, was it Vegas had his rights and traded him off to New Jersey and got a couple picks for him. And then New Jersey gave him two years, four and a half million per. Uh, big money. Well, uh, Slefeshev is not a defending scoring champion uh, with three other, two other years in the top five scores. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't have as much. Um, uh, Slefeshev's got, I'd say, less negotiating power. Uh, I think it's a, probably a good thing that Edmonton management's had a complete changeover in coaching since he was here. I think that would open him up the way many thought Pulley might look at the team differently. I'm pretty sure Slepyshev would. And he's, um, uh, you know, he, he's like a very solid KHL scorer, which he was in, you know, between uh, 10 and 20 and goals, assists, points. He was seventh, I think, in plus minus. Uh, top 11 or something in points per game. Like, he was just on the cusp of the top 10. But when you step back, you realize that most of that came in the second half of the season. Uh, you know, like he pulled up from way back to get himself just uh, just outside the top 10 scores. So I guess the question is, which Slepyshev do you think you're signing? The guy who uh, was inconsistent throughout the year or the guy that went nuts in the second half and maybe turned a corner somehow and... and the question then is, of course, he turned that corner in the KHL. The NHL is a different league altogether. And what does it mean? Yeah. Well, I could see him beating out, you know, or competing with um, Chase on and Neil. His problem is that all mm-hmm. these guys he's competing with have mm-hmm. contracts for next year. Yep. And uh, Neil's getting paid a lot. I don't see the Oilers buying out Neil this summer. And I, I see a very limited ability to move the player in a trade. Um, is it possible if they if they swallowed a huge a poison pill that they could move James Neal this summer? I, I don't believe so. I think it's a real possibility they could buy him out. Do you? Ah, yeah. ah, there is so much pain. Uh, well, I'm aware of that, but it's pain either way when you got a $5.75 million uh, contract and if they were to buy him out, they would that would give them 3.8 in cap relief. If they were to sign a player for say two million, that they thought was better a better player, and it would also open up, you know, the other half of that cap relief. I mean, you could make a case for it. 
So Neil, uh, Neil's got a lot of questions to answer at such a point as they get playing hockey again. He really hasn't uh, uh, moved the needle much since very early in this season. I've liked him more than most people. I think he's been okay at even strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he uh, has been really good on the power play, although he hasn't. I mean, he's been injured and then Chase On's taken his job. I mean, Chase On and Neil, I think, have been very comparable on the power mm-hmm. play. And I'm just looking at the numbers today. I'm going to be writing a post on it in the uh, coming up. But um, let me just go to the uh, cap-friendly buyout calendar on James Neal. Yeah, it'll be 1.9 million a year for eight years, or pretty much. Because he's got oh, four geez. years to go on that son, son of a guy. Yeah, I think you need to. I think you need to uh, go one more year well, with him before you. Because he, I mean, he's, he's he's a guy who would have scored twenty goals this year of the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see, Eric yeah, Francis like on Twitter was of them on October thirtieth. <clears throat> uh, Eric Francis on Twitter was uh, whining that um, the NHL needs to prorate James Neal's numbers uh, so Calgary can get that third round draft pick. This is the same guy that's been putting down James Neal all year long, and all of a sudden he thinks they should be prorating his numbers to to project how how good he is. Okay, or <laughs> I don't think that's. Gonna... Might, I mean, we're we're fan. We're, I guess we shouldn't criticize, but man, he's the pom poms on that guy are a bit. Hard, well, we're openly hard to swallow. We're, we're openly, fans. Like I'm a fan blogger. I'm not going to apologize yeah. for it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, sometimes you wonder you know, some okay. of the water that gets carried for. Uh, oh, I don't blame him for speculating on it. <laughs> I guess he knows his audience, eh? Just like we do. Buyout length, Bruce. Okay, after this year, he's got uh, three years remaining. Okay, three more six, years. Six right. years at one point nine million. So if if you can if you go one more year with James Neal, which I think they will do, I don't think they're going to buy him up. But you know, we'll, we'll dig into this. We'll have lots of time to speculate on this kind of thing. It looks like, um, I you know I think that they'll wait another year. Um, at least um, to buy out James Neal. So, we'll see what Anyway, happens. to get Subshev, I mean, the first thing is you might say, well, bring the guy back and let him compete for a job. But well, I think we're past that. I mean, he makes 90 million rubles to play in the KHL. And that's a lot of rubles. And it's even a fair amount of dollars. It translates to about one and a quarter million dollars. So he isn't going to sign a $900,000 contract to come back over here. He's going to want to raise based on the great second half that he's had. And he's probably open to taking that raise from Central Red Army or uh, to consider, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how much his drive is to play in the NHL or just simply to boost his status. I mean, there are guys, the aforementioned Alex Radulov being a great example, who are sort of equally comfortable playing in one league or the other. So he's. It's not like the Oilers have him over a barrel. But if he does want to come back here, then he, they're the team he has to talk to first. And maybe there's a fit. I mean, could they use a big, rangy winger with a great shot who can score score points at uh, anything approaching that rate? Absolutely. Could they ever? So, but yeah. we have in three years together, he played with Connor McDavid something like 126 minutes. And in that time, the Oilers scored nine goals and Slapashev himself got five points. So it wasn't like he couldn't score with McDavid. It was just they never they never stuck with it as a trial 
for any length of time. So we have a minimal amount of information suggesting that he can play with the guy, but that's all we've got. Well, we've got, um, what do we have? We've got McDavid, uh, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Yamamoto, four guys mm-hmm. who can play in the top six for sure. Mm-hmm. We've got another one in Cassian, who's a pretty good bet to play in the top six. So, so there's one guy, there's one more opening there. Mm-hmm. It's wide open, really wide open at this point. And Slepyshev would seem to me as good a bet, if not a better bet, than James Neal or Alex Chason. Um, Tyler Ennis. That. Well, there's Tyler Ennis. There's Tyler Alex. Benson. Athanasiu, there's, I mean, there's, there's guys. Yeah. Well, Athanasiu is, do you think he's an upgrade? Because to get Slapshev here, you're not saying come in to compete for a job. It's that we're paying you X amount of dollars and you're on the team. Well, how'd you like to have a, a, a kind of a third line, third scoring line, attacking line, which the letters have, with Athanasiu and Slepyshev as the wingers and maybe um, someone else that we don't know of at center. So that's a possibility too. So that, that will be the other job he's competing for. But again, he's in tough because both Chase on and I don't see them buying out Chase on and, <laughs> excuse me, and um, Neil are around. But, you know, you never know what happens. Well, Bruce, um, so we should just say to fans that uh, we're going to be going at the Cult of Hockey. That we, you know, I'm going to be preparing a series of posts uh, with the hope that the playoffs, uh, I don't think the regular season is going to, I think that's it for the regular season play is my guess. But I'm still hoping that the playoffs happen and we're going to be writing series of posts as if that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And you're, we're going to be starting uh, player reviews for you. You're going to be looking at the season that, that we've seen and starting to go through the list of Oilers and, uh, you know, summing up their season. So we got lots to write about at the cult. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, Bruce, that, um, mm-hmm. that uh, things will settle down enough and... Um, health measures will be put in place that allow the season to con the playoffs at least to continue. Um, all yeah, we can is hope. It's nice to be able to write about something approaching normalcy, you know, player rumored to be coming over from Europe. We got one or two of those every spring, right? And sometimes yeah. they pan out and, uh, uh, sometimes the rumors pan out and the players don't. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it just, it felt kind of normal and, and it was, it was, it was strange. Like, it's this whole week has been so strange. I found it really hard to kick into gear and try and write this darn post. And it's kind of probably not the most well put together one that I've done, but it just, it's just kind of interesting to be actually talking about hockey and talking about a guy that's actually still playing games. This is the amazing part. The KHL playoffs is still underway other than I understand that Jokerit just pulled out of the playoffs. Yeah. Out of coronavirus concerns. That's a bit of an eye popper, but they're in, they they're through the first round, and uh, I think they had one one or two games in front of empty barns, but they're they're still playing, and so this is one player of, uh, you got to call him a player of interest, Anton Slepyshev. Yeah, and you know Bruce, you know in terms of wooing the guy, there's not only the fact that there's a new GM and a new uh, coach here in Edmonton, there's also a record of signing players from Europe last summer and giving mm-hmm. them a real shot. Yes. I mean, uh, Gaetan Haas. Gaetan Haas played 526 even strength minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, Nigard played 335, of course, was hurt. Nigard earned another contract. Mm-hmm. Um, Yurcho got a chance. Granlin got a chance. They didn't all make, make the most of it. None of those guys chance. can say they didn't, they didn't get a chance. Pearson got a chance yep. as well. 
he got a yeah. real chance. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was in the opening day lineup and he lost the job, um, as did Yurcho. Um, and they so, gave him a fresh chance with another team once they determined that he wasn't in the mix here. They 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 basically took a bath and just moved him along just to get you know to to sort of hold faith with the player. To me, as a uh, that's a kind of sort of understated move by the GM uh, that shows that he's he's a straight dealer. And I think the agents in particular would appreciate that kind of stuff. And and from an Oilers perspective, in terms of rolling the dice on all those guys. I think I really liked Negard as a player this year. I thought he was an effective NHL player, especially on the checking line. And I really, that, that line played its best hockey by far when he was with Shane and Archibald in January, all those guys were playing excellent hockey before Negard got injured. So that was a real, and that's why they offered him a contract. Haas, I don't know. And we'll dig into this in the future when, when you write about uh, Haas We'll think about this more. I'm not. I'm kind of on the fence whether he's earned another contract or not. I I don't know um, at this point. I think it's I think it's kind of a coin flip. Um, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. In any case, Bruce. So uh, yeah, we're going to be writing posts, people. We're going to be here and talking Oilers hockey because that's what we love to do. Right. Fun to fantasize about it. At least that's <laughs> yeah. all we're doing right now, man. Last night when the mm-hmm. I, I was going through my TV channel and uh, just see what was on and uh, it came up, channel 223, Islanders at Oilers, being recorded. And I'm just sort of, how am I not watching? Oh, yeah, there's no game. It's just, you know, this is, it just turned on, it just turned so suddenly. Hey, Bruce, you know, do you have, do you have uh, that? Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, on Wednesday night, I had a clash between covering the Oilers game and teaching my astronomy course at the Science Center. Now the Science Center is closed and NHL is closed. It's like everything changed. Oh, wow. I didn't know the Science Center was closed. Yeah, they're shut down for two weeks. All righty. Let's see what happens there. (laughs) Oh, I was going to ask you, do you Mm -hmm. have, a few years ago, my my brother-in-law gave me as a Christmas present this DVD of the top. 10 Oilers games Got it. of all time. I I haven't watched it yet. Mm-hmm. So what, what, what I was thinking is maybe what we could do is you and I both watch, pick, mm-hmm. pick a night, we'll watch the game, and we'll right. do uh, Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, <laughs> Numbers podcast <laughs> from the Oilers' greatest. Assist. How does that sound? Sounds like fun. Because I'd like to do the I scoring looking at the I remember looking at the game. <laughs> One of them is Wayne getting his 50 and 39 games against Philly. Yeah. And my goodness, he must have had 20 grade A scoring chances in that game. It was just well, ridiculous. I, it was just, whoa, one after another great chance. It was just... <laughs> I want to track Maybe not that, 20, actually. but 12 to 15. I find it interesting to track grade A chances mm-hmm. from different eras. And, uh, yeah, well, it'll be interesting good. to apply our methods and other methods. I mean, remember when we went through the old Canada Cup videos and we put Corsi event, we tried to count Corsi events and zone entries and just sort of look at the old footage through a modern lens. And I think, you know, in our case, obviously, the scoring chance project that you in particular have worked on for all these years would be a natural way to try and parse these games. How do they, how does the style of hockey compare with what we're seeing in the modern NHL. We know it's going to be different, but but how different? How, how can we quantify that? I bet you there's probably about, uh, I'm just guessing here, like 5,000, 10,000 Oilers fans who also own that video. So maybe uh, we'll, we'll give people advance notice of the game that we're watching that night, and if they want to watch along okay. that same night. Uh, but we'll see, what, we'll, we'll see what develops. Maybe it won't get to that, 
But I think maybe by May, uh, if there's still no games by May, this is what we'll, we will uh, be turning to by then, Bruce, for for our own. Um, I've always wanted to watch those games again. I just, you know, you're, we're always so busy. Like we're like we watch a lot of hockey, yep. you know, between the Bakersfield Condors and the World Championships, which you watch, and you know, the, the intensity with which we watch the uh, Oilers games. We watch a lot of hockey. I've never had a chance to watch those, so that so that's in the that's in the offing as well. Anyway, Bruce, thanks for talking right. tonight. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for reading, everyone, and thanks for listening. And in the meantime. And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.